Good afternoon from USC's Annenberg Media Center and welcome to From Where We Are from Annenberg Radio News. For Tuesday, October 17, 2017, I'm Charlotte Kim. First, a news update with Sam Newman. California Attorney General Javier Becerra called on California residents to be mindful of anti-gouging laws in light of wildfires across the state. Jeffrey Dubroff has more on the story. California law prevents vendors from increasing prices by more than 10% during a state or local emergency. The law applies to the cost of food, gas, transportation, and other emergency repair services. Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency last week in response to the deadliest wildfires in the state's histories. The fires have killed at least 41 people and destroyed nearly 6,000 homes in the past week. Firefighters have contained more than half of the four largest fires, yet mandatory evacuations are still in place. Fire officials say it could be days or weeks before some residents could return to their homes. For Annenberg Media, I'm Jeffrey Dubroff. A brush fire near the Mount Wilson Observatory broke out this morning. The fire has burned over 30 acres, and firefighters say it is only 5% contained. Officials are yet to determine a specific cause. There is no immediate threat to any structures, and no injuries have been reported. 140 residents of the Chantry Flats were notified about the fire, but an evacuation was not ordered. Governor Jerry Brown has signed a bill to make it easier for transgender, intersex, and non-binary Californians to get IDs that reflect their preferred gender identity. SB 179 creates a third gender option on any state-issued identification documents. Serene Habashian spoke to opponents and advocates of the law. The only way to know what someone's gender is is for them to tell you. Um, and this piece of legislation that recognizes that for the first time in California policy. That's Sean Meerkamper, the staff attorney for the Transgender Law Center in Oakland, California. They were a driving force behind the legislation. Senator Tony Atkins of San Diego, who wrote the bill, says California is only the second state to allow a third gender option, the first being Oregon. Meerkamper says this is a major step forward for people who don't identify as male or female. When people are not able to get official documentation that reflects who they really are, um, their lives are incredibly complicated by that and can lead to you know, serious incidences of harassment and discrimination and even violence. So um, the easier that we can make it for people to get identification that reflects their true gender identities, um, the better off everyone is in the long run. The law also removes the need for medical certification, where a doctor must determine one's gender. An overwhelming 26 senators voted for the bill, but 12 did not, all of them being Republicans. An organization called California Family Council is one of the groups who opposed the legislation. We believe that gender is something that's based on biology, and it's not something that is determined by um, feelings or left up to uh, personal choice. That's Greg Burt, the director of capital engagement for the California Family Council. That's our biggest concern going forward, is that the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion is being thrown out, and only one view of gender is now going to be allowed. The bill goes into effect on January 1st, 2019. For Annenberg Media, I'm Sarin Habeshian. The White House is criticizing the decision of a federal judge in Hawaii to block President Trump's latest travel ban. 
The ruling came today just hours before it was set to take effect. The Justice Department says it will appeal the judge's ruling. The third version of the travel ban includes Middle East countries, North Korea, and some officials from Venezuela. Judge Derek Watson said the travel ban clearly discriminates based on nationality. Tonight, temperatures will drop to the mid-60s after a high of 92 this afternoon. Tomorrow, there will be clear skies and temperatures will drop to the mid-80s with a high of 85. The rest of the week, temperatures will remain in the high 70s until we return to the 80s and 90s later this weekend. Today on Skid Row, nurses with a local clinic gave out free hepatitis A vaccines to homeless residents. As Paula Elanze reports, they are trying to stop an outbreak of the disease in L.A. As shops opened for business this morning on South Winston Street in Skid Row, there was a lot more activity than usual. In a cramped, stuffy waiting room of the L.A. Christian Health Center, people filed in and out, grateful to receive free hepatitis A vaccinations. Last week, Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency in California because of an outbreak of the disease. Twelve hepatitis A cases have been reported in L.A. County, mostly among the homeless. The Joshua House Clinic is housed inside the L.A. Christian Health Center. Shots that we're doing today, the Public Health Department actually is donating um, vaccinations for that. Um, and we do vaccinate, but um, this has been like a real push for it just because of um, the outbreak. Coe says that coordinators have been out all morning recruiting people to come in and get vaccinated. Hepatitis A is spread through fecal material that gets passed from person to person or through food and water. Dr. Lisa Abdishu is the CEO and president of Los Angeles Christian Health Center. She says that because the homeless have less access to sinks and places to wash their hands, they are more susceptible to the disease. Dr. Abdishu encourages people to seek medical help if their skin turns yellow or their stools appear pale. For Annenberg Media, I'm Paula Ilanze. Los Angeles County officials have voted to limit the ability of immigration agents to carry out arrests for deportation on county properties. The Board of Supervisors designated these properties as sensitive locations. Under the new policy, immigration agents would need to get a judicial warrant to enter these locations. The Los Angeles Dodgers will be in Chicago tonight for Game 3 in their playoff series against the Cubs. The Dodgers are up two games to none after back-to-back wins this weekend in L.A. Tonight's game starts at 6 p.m. with Hugh Darvish on the mound. In the American League, the New York Yankees battle the Houston Astros in New York for Game 4. The Astros lead the series 2-1. The Yankees are currently tied with the Astros at no score in the sixth inning. It's seven minutes after the hour. I'm Sam Newman. Thanks, Sam. Coming up on From Where We Are, California's governor just signed a bill offering some free education. We'll tell you about it. Banner planes with ads can always be seen at USC football games, but last Saturday, fans at the Coliseum saw more than an innocent advertisement parading the evening sky. Ryan Temple reports. When they looked up, people at the game were surprised to see one plane pulling a banner that read, Fire President Nikias and Save Greek Life. That banner seems to refer to restrictions the USC administration recently put into place regarding Greek life. The restrictions include a deferment period that makes students wait one semester before pledging. 
The plane caught students off guard, including undergraduate student government, or USG, President Austin Dunn. I've never seen somebody uh, fly a message via a plane, um, so that was uh, definitely surprising. Another student we talked to, Lexi Miketree, says the plane did its job. I think it probably was effective just so that the whole campus and everybody at the game got to see that that is what's kind of going around at the school right now. Maitri says students around her are talking about recent USC scandals, including two different medical school deans being forced to step down since July. Another student, Mia Yanez, wasn't as impressed with the stunt. I'm not in Greek life, so I'm not going to be changing anything. I'm not going to be siding with anyone and really pushing towards their motive, and I'm also not going to be pushing toward, like against them. It's kind of just something that happened. USG President Austin Dunn says that his group is working on providing platforms to discuss issues students care about. Right, this isn't something that our university has had before. We haven't had an opportunity where our high-level administrators and experts, as they call them, will be in the same room allowing students to ask the hard questions, address the difficult topics. USC's Vice President for Student Affairs, Ainsley Carey, says that he feels the same frustration students are feeling regarding these scandals, but the administration is working to ease student tensions. It's important for members of the community to feel like we are transparent about what's going on. Nobody is proud of what's going on, um, but we do need to explain it and discuss it. The person or organization responsible for funding the banner on the plane last Saturday has not yet come forward. For Annenberg Media, I'm Ryan Temple. It was a ruckus day at LAPD headquarters. The LA Police Commission approved a plan for a pilot program that will allow the limited use of drones. As Christine DeLeon reports, protesters were also on hand. Protesters gathered outside the LAPD headquarters this morning to voice their disapproval of police drones. Two months ago, the LAPD announced its plan for a one-year experiment to fly drones. Hamid Khan from Stop LA's Spying Coalition organized today's protest. The LAPD has failed in doing, in, in doing meaningful outreach to the community. So we're demanding that the police commission say, say no. But inside the LAPD headquarters, the board of police commissioners were, was saying yes. They voted three to one to allow LAPD to test drones for one year. The two-hour meeting was rowdy and contentious and speakers weren't even able to finish their comments. Commissioner Cynthia McCain-Hill was only one to vote against the plan, saying the LAPD needs to build more trust with the community. Under the guidelines passed today, Commissioner Matthew Johnson says the drones will be used in a limited way. And SUAS shall not be deployed with any facial recognition software or analysis capabilities. But protesters were not satisfied, and they continued their demonstration after the meeting. For Annenberg Media, I'm Christine DeLeon. While students nationwide are concerned over soaring tuition rates and ballooning student debt, California just offered one year of free community college for its newest class of students. Dan Toomey has a story. I think it's amazing. I think it helps promote a sense of study, a sense of betterment in your life. Alejandro Silva appreciates the bill that Governor Jerry Brown signed into law last week. The bill offers some full-time first-year community college students one tuition-free year. Silva is a newly joined Trojan. 
He transferred from a community college in Miami to USC this semester. When talking about his life in Miami, he describes it as stress-free because all of his tuition was covered. I was able to be active on campus, create my own club, do networking events, you know, and I pursue internship opportunities. So I, absolutely, that opportunity of having my tuition covered, my books covered, really gave me a lot of ease for me and my family. Silva helps unfold the story about transfer students at USC. In fall 2017, the university gave out 2,150 admission offers to transfer students. 50% of them came from California community colleges. Finding the financial flexibility to transfer into a prestigious private college is not easy. The bill, however, could ease the path. Uh, we think it has a tremendous impact on changing the demographics uh, and increasing diversity at all four years institutions. That's Assemblymember Miguel Santiago. He's the author of the bill, which creates the encompassing California Community College Promise Program. So we believe this is a game changer uh, in, in California's uh, education policy conversation. It's a game changer, no doubt about it. Community colleges will be free. Santiago attended community college before transferring to UCLA and speaks to the opportunities provided by a tuition-free community college. Because we know that we've got to help uh, change these communities by giving every student the opportunity to go to, to a university and to go to college. Santiago says with this financial opportunity, students in community colleges can find an easier way into a four-year institution. But a vocal minority has argued that someone has to foot the bill. Legislators like Assemblyman Travis Allen and Matthew Harper argued that the bill would cost the state too much more than $30 million by giving waivers to students who don't need the financial help. Francisco Rodriguez, chancellor from Los Angeles Community College District, counters this and explains the benefits of the program from the perspective of an educator. Why, why is full-time such an important factor? Well, for us, we know that students who enroll full-time complete at a much higher rate. Our, our statistics show about 60 to 65 percent higher completion rate than those students who go part-time. He also has data on the educational accomplishments of community college students. As you know, 75% of community college enrollees are typically part-time. Those who enroll full-time increased by 42%. The bill will go into effect on July 1st, and the prospects have been regarded as promising. Mara Guo contributed to this report. Senator Dianne Feinstein has a challenger for a seat in the United States Senate, and it's coming from her own Democratic Party. California State Senator Kevin DeLeon of Los Angeles announced his bid over the weekend. Reporter Helen Arouse has a story. DeLeon is up against an incumbent who's held her seat since 1992. He's the highest-ranking senator in the California Senate and her first major challenger since she was elected. We spoke with Alec Vandenberg, one of the founders of Trojan Advocates for Political Progress, an organization working on political awareness and participation at USC. I was pretty excited because I always think competition is good, and I was worried that um, Diane Feinstein, Senator Feinstein, would run unopposed, which I don't think is good for California democracy as a whole. California reflects a lot of different beliefs. I think that Kim DeLeon brings um, a different set of issues, maybe, and perspectives to the table that will be good for voters to choose between in 2018. DeLeon says that that is a reason he's running, to give voters a choice, and that California needs new and different leadership than what it has now. University of Southern California's resident legislator, lecturer, and former assemblyman Mike Gatto worked with DeLeon in Sacramento. You know, he is trying to tap into the vein of anger and activism that came from the election of Donald Trump. California has the blanket primary system, meaning the top two candidates, regardless of party, qualify for the general election, where it's a winner-takes-all situation. 
but Gatto doesn't want to focus on left versus more left. He wants his fellow Democrats to pay attention to what their party's infighting is doing to help or hurt their constituents. When the Republican Party splintered in the last five or ten years, the far-right-wing Tea Party types were attacking everything that the centrist Republicans stood for. And they were attacking them based on the length of their tenure in Washington and all this, you know, this drain-the-swamp stuff. A lot of Democrats sat by horrified. Should we really be putting into power the people who uh, don't really have anything meaningful to say other than to just throw the bums out? Well, Democrats should look in the mirror, too. We're going through the same type of cannibalization of our party. So is it time for Feinstein to step aside and let others lead the Democratic Party? A lot of the comments that I've heard so far, um, you know, against Dianne Feinstein, some of them have veered into what you would call ageist. Uh, There is nothing wrong. Uh, with having somebody who's got decades of experience serving in the U.S. Senate. Indeed, you know, in the U.S. Senate, power comes from having decades of experience. This particular election calls for California politicians and voters to think about what's important to them. So we see a lot of different divides in terms of where people lean socially, fiscally, different intersections of that. Um, Not everyone's the same shade of blue, and not everyone is, in fact, blue in California. If we're ever going to emerge from this, this era of crazy partisanship and people yelling at each other on on television and really nothing getting done, then I would submit it's going to take leaders who can effectuate a compromise. Gatto and Vandenberg both say elections should be decided based on the spirit of the times, and overall the candidates' policies should move the country forward. For Annenberg Media, I'm Helen Arase. Now, it's time for Ampersand. Ampersand. Ready. Covering Los Angeles arts and culture and everything in between. Jazz and blues singer Barbara Dane has been making music about social justice for some 70 years. Her work has influenced many famous singers, such as Bonnie Raitt and Bob Dylan, among others. Always eager to perform, she's excited to take the stage at UCLA this Saturday. Liz Warner has a profile. When I arrive in the evening at Barbara Dane's house in Oakland, California, the first thing I see is a very large, illuminated peace sign in her front window. Below is a more recent sign, Black Lives Matter. Crickets chirp in the backyard. At 90 years old, she is vigorously working on her autobiography and poring over paperwork from her FBI file. Dane has always been what some call a radical not just by the FBI, but even her record label objected to some of her ideas. It's because they said you can't put a white woman and a black man on a cover. In the 1960s, she broke boundaries as a white artist by recording this song with the Chambers Brothers, a black gospel group that complemented her folk and blues roots. It isn't nice to block the doorway. It isn't nice to go to jail. There are nice ways to do it, but the nice way calls fail. It is nice Barbara Dane grew up in the segregated city of Detroit, and racism never settled well with her. While there, she'd briefly joined the Communist Party, because they seemed to her to be the only ones concerned about equality. 
She was a member for just long enough to be placed on a watch list, and also for her friends and fellow party members to chip in to buy her her first guitar. She met legendary folk musician Pete Seeger. I was um, Pete Seeger's appointed People's Songs director of my Detroit chapter, which consisted of about three people. Dane takes out of her FBI file a copy of an L.A. Times review from a concert she played in 1972. On its sidebar, an FBI agent has written the word subversive. In the decades since, with just her voice and a guitar, Dane has been steadfast about spreading the message of peace through social equality. At UCLA this Saturday, she will be joined by the gospel-influenced singers, the Chambers Brothers. But just as important to her, and it has been for decades, is to be joined in song by the audience. What I try to do is give them something that they can absorb and carry out of the place and sing it on the way home and keep singing and, and let, it, let it hold them up you know, when they can, can uh, use it. How do you do? We like to spend little time with you. As I leave Barbara Dane's house, the peace symbol still shines from the front window. As a reminder that in spite of all the progress that's been made so far, there's always more work to be done. For Annenberg Media, I'm Liz Warner. You may have seen your friends purposely buying expensive water bottles with labels claiming they have high pH levels. Reporter Alexia Narcis looks into these claims that higher pH water is healthier than regular drinking water. I'm here at my local Whole Foods trying to figure out why people are willing to spend $3.99 on a water bottle. What kind of water do you buy? I particularly like Fiji water. Well, now I buy LaCroix. Alkaline, Aquanine. Smart water. Is the pH of the water you're drinking important to you? Yes. Yes. Of course. I like to monitor and make sure that my levels are all right. Um, I was educated from my mom. She told me early on that it's important to make sure you're consuming the right kinds of water. So I reached out to Chris Lowe with Essential Water in the Sales and Marketing Division, and I asked him to teach me a bit about what Essential Water does that makes it so different. So we are an alkaline. water that gets it through an ionization process or a reverse osmosis. So we don't add a bunch of minerals to get our alkalinity, um, which is different. That's one of the reasons why we kind of focus on saying, would you like uh, an ionized alkaline water? Now, as much as I wanted to believe, Chris, I felt like I needed to take things into my own hands and test the pH of this water myself. So I'm about to um, commence a pH water test, and I have here with me uh, about 10 different waters. We have Fiji, Essentia, Aquafina, Foss, Life Water, Black Water, Dasani, Arrowhead, Kirkland Brand, Evian, and Smart Water. I'm using litmus paper. That's going to test the pH of the water. So I'm going to put these little strips of paper that are already white in the water. And these papers, as I'm putting them in now, are actually changing. So I have my results in. The Aquafina became yellow, as well as the Voss. The Fiji became more of an orange color, so that's definitely going to be more 
acidic. Uh, some of my waters that reach more of the basic scale are my Smart Water, my uh, Evian Water, and Life Water. So after finishing my tests, I wanted to reach out to either a doctor or a scientist who could confirm what alkaline water was capable of. Hi, you've reached Mark Stacey in the Civil Environment and Engineering Department at UC Berkeley. Please leave a message. Hello, this is David Sedlak. I'm not available right now. I'm sorry. The extension for... Yeah, so you can imagine I basically had hit a wall at that point. Until I finally got a call that I'd be able to meet with physician and pH specialist Michael Gupta. pH stands for the power of hydrogen, which is a measurement of the hydrogen ion concentration in the body. From a physician's perspective, I have never seen anyone have any negative side effects from drinking water. So I thought back to my earlier interviews from that day. Do you feel different when you drink the Aquanine Plus water? Um, I think... I feel more hydrated. The water is going to be absorbed in the stomach and the small intestines, and the stomach has acid that will neutralize the pH of the water. So I really don't see it doing anything to your body that's helpful. And then I thought back to my interview with Chris from the Essentia sales team. Throughout the day, you eat and drink a lot of acidic foods, so your body becomes acidic. So the point of the 9.5 pH is to counteract the acidity of your body and kind of rebalance you to a 7, which makes you more neutral. The more neutral your body is, the easier it is for your body to focus on hydration and just general health as opposed to kind of, you know, fighting off the acidity and whatnot. And once again, Dr. Gupta debunked that theory. Your kidneys should regulate your pH levels. So whether you're consuming something moderately acidic or basic, healthy kidneys would regulate it. But I mean, don't go drinking bleach just to feel clean. Is water pH and alkaline water a myth or is it real? To be honest, this is a scam. Your stomach is acidic and any water that's just alkaline based isn't really going to change your higher body's pH. The FDA, CDC, and EPA have no studies or information showing that alkaline based water is more beneficial. I would just say go to tap water. So there you have it. The need for water with a high pH is a complete myth. But if you love the water that much, who's going to stop you from drinking it? From Annenberg Media, I'm Alexia Narcisse. Now, the Annenberg Media Pop Culture Desk presents the Buzz Roundup. Reporter JT Arose has this week's biggest stories in the world of entertainment. This is your Buzz Weekly Roundup, and here are today's top stories. If you've been on Facebook and Twitter lately, you may have noticed a lot of people posting Me Too or hashtag MeToo specifically. This hashtag and phrase has been flooding social media to encourage people to share their personal stories of sexual assault. Alyssa Milano originally thought of the idea and posted on Twitter, if you have been sexually harassed or assaulted, write MeToo as a reply to this tweet. And from there, the phrase took off. One USC student discussed how seeing the hashtag MeToo social media posts impacted her. It's still on my newsfeed a lot, and I see it a lot. And um, I mean, I was even considering uh, to participate in this as well, but I don't feel like I'm ready for that. So, yeah, but it's good that it, it it's even making me think of that and making me think of joining this. So I think it's really effective. This female USC student seeing Me Too hit close to home and put a lot of things in perspective. It made me think about my friends and what they may have experienced. 
And it's just, it was really shocking and overwhelming. And it made me so emotional. And I feel so much compassion for these people and so much respect for their courage to just be able to post something like that. So yeah, it's definitely shocking for me. CNN reported that hashtag MeToo has been tweeted more than half a million times. While hashtag MeToo takes its top story for this week, the second major story is still developing amidst the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Celebrities are continuing to share their personal experience with sexual harassment and assault in Hollywood. Reese Witherspoon discussed her own experience on Monday at the L Women in Hollywood Awards. Here's what the actress said in particular. He assaulted me when I was 16 years old and um, anger that I felt at the agents and the producer. In some happier news, Game of Thrones star Sophie Turner and singer Joe Jonas are engaged. Jonas proposed to his girlfriend of about a year on Sunday, October 15th, and the couple announced their engagement on Instagram. Friends of the celebrity couple took to social media to offer their congratulations, including Selena Gomez and Game of Thrones co-star Maisie Williams. This is the second major engagement news related to Game of Thrones. Kit Harington, who plays Jon Snow, and Rose Leslie, who played Egret on the show, announced their engagement back in late September. And finally, Royal Baby number 3 is on the way. Kensington Palace released a statement today saying, Their Royal Highness the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge are delighted to confirm they are expecting a baby in April. Will and Kate revealed they are expecting another child back in September. Baby number 3 will join 4-year-old big bro Prince George and 2-year-old big sis Charlotte. For Annenberg Media, JT Arosay with your Buzz Weekly Roundup. That's it from where we are today. Today's show was produced by Garrett Schwartz. We had help today from Jocelyn Woods. Chris Perfett is our board operator. The theme music was composed by Derek Renfro. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Annenberg Media. I'm Charlotte Kim.